Developing the product is actually the easier part. The branding was really hard. I think a lot of people underestimate just how hard it is to lock in the exact branding, the communication of the product. And when we approached Jeremy, our branding was, I mean, if you would see it, what we were thinking of, you probably wouldn't buy the product off the shelf. It looked like a 50s or 60s retro brand and not in a good way. Hi, folks. Thanks for tuning into the Food Startups Podcast. I am your host, Hema Reddy. On this show, we talk about some incredible journeys, the hurdles, the breakthroughs, the failures, and successes that shape the present and future of the food and beverage industry. So stick around for some exciting and insightful conversation. All right, Food Startups Podcast listeners, this is Hema. I am so excited for this particular recording for two reasons. One, Jeremy Smith is joining me on this interview as a co-host, which is the most exciting news that I've been waiting to share with everybody. And the second reason is the company that we have on as the guest is Kumana and they make avocado sauce. I love avocado and also they call themselves hot sauce. So two of my favorite things on the menu and another bonus advantage for this episode is we have Eric Reed from Market Brand, which is a design firm. And we will walk away with some valuable pointers on a lot of key areas from founding a company to brand identity, to design, to distribution. This is going to be a super fun episode. What do you say, Jeremy? Well, I think it's going to be exciting and I've never co-hosted before. So I I will try to do my best on this. I do talk a lot, so I'm going to try and limit myself a little bit. (laughs) So Jeremy, for the listeners, please share a little bit of background about Launchpad. I know you have come on the show a few times, so it never gets old with you. So please tell the listeners, what is Launchpad and what does it do? Yeah. So a few years ago, I think around 2015, I came up with this idea after talking with several VC firms as well as clients on the food side, what could I do better in the marketplace to support emerging food brands? And a lot of them said that they need more services from a food brokerage company. And so what I decided to do was to bring in services like being able to bring VC firms in, being able to do more consulting, because a lot of times when you're working with clients, they're not ready to go to Costco or they're not ready to go to retail right now. And there's a lot of work that has to be done behind the scenes. And most brokerage firms don't have the time for that. And so I set up my firm with the idea to be able to provide almost like an agency, a full suite of services for any emerging food brand. And I also partnered with my best friend, Eric Reed at Market Brand, because a lot of times people would come to us and they need packaging help, branding help, naming, and all of those things. And Eric, as far as I'm concerned, is is one of the best in the country, along with his wife, Deb. And we've worked together for more than 20 years. So Now we can go in, which you'll hear in in this story about Kamana as well, and sit down with the founder of a company, help them shape where they want to go from a sales standpoint, but also from a creative standpoint, helping them tell the story. 
and then finally taking them out to all different retail channels, everybody from Albertson, Safeway and Whole Foods to the greatest retailer in the land, which is Costco Wholesale. Well, fantastic. I'm excited to get into the interview. <laughs> me too. Me too. All right. So one of the guests of the show, Francisco Pavan, is the founder and CEO of Kumana. You know, I'd love to always get started to hear about how does somebody that's working at Goldman Sachs and Toyota leave their position and start an avocado sauce company. Yeah, good morning or good afternoon. I would like to start a little bit earlier in the timeline. I was born and raised in Caracas, Venezuela. And growing up there, I absolutely loved my childhood. My family was in the business of making automotive parts for Toyota. And honestly, I thought I was going to stay there living in Caracas for the rest of my life. I absolutely loved it. But if you take a look at the news, the country fell off a political cliff. And it was clear to me when I was growing up in high school that my dream of staying in Venezuela was not going to be possible. And I decided to come to the United States for college. My grandfather was actually born and raised in Wisconsin. So I kind of came, if you would say, full circle back to the States. And while I was in college, I got interested in finance and then joined Goldman Sachs right after the financial depression. And that was a very, very interesting time to be in finance. A lot of things that I learned being there. But at the end of the day, that wasn't for me. I really, really loved to have a passion for creating products that people use, tangible products. So that's when I joined the family business and I started helping my father out. We still have to this day this uh, automotive supplier uh, supplies auto parts for Toyota and started working with them, helping him out in Venezuela. And you were dealing with things like double, triple digit inflation and ever changing political climate. So it was an MBA at once trying to manage this business and uh, keep it afloat. Now, the very interesting thing about it was on the supply chain side, being a Toyota supplier, I was sent everywhere from Argentina all the way out to Japan to meet with different suppliers. And that exposed me to all sorts of different foods and cuisines and cultures. And it was absolutely fascinating. And I guess in my opinion, one of the best ways to get to know a country is through its food. That's true. So I was working in, for the supplier, Toyota actually approached us directly and offered to move me out to Japan and to start working for one of their subsidiaries in Tokyo. And I jumped on the opportunity. Toyota is probably one of the best run companies in the world. And here's an opportunity to work directly at a headquarter position and see how they do things day to day. So I was transferred to one of their subsidiaries called Hino Motors. Their headquarters is west of Tokyo. And I was their first foreign full-time employee. So there I go. I show up day to day, every day to this office. And there's 4,000 Japanese employees and myself. <laughs> That was a fascinating experience. They gave me a photo ID like badge to get in and out of work every day. And I really didn't know why I needed it. <laughs> it was obvious. <laughs> I was the only one that looked extremely different in this office. <laughs> and the Japanese culture is, is incredible. I had an amazing time out there. You learn a lot about discipline, respect, certain values that are not as present in our Western culture. However, being 13 time zones away from everyone you know gets pretty lonely. You know, I would be out there at four or five o'clock my first weekends on a Saturday and absolutely nobody to talk to that I knew. 
So I used to go to either the American barbecue places or the coffee roasteries that emulated kind of like the third wave coffee places in the US. And that instantly transported me back home. And that's when I realized that food had a second powerful element, which was its capability of taking you anywhere else in the world. And that was very powerful to me. It made me feel comforted. So when I came back to the States a year later, after I was done with my duties out there, I decided to do something with food and specifically with uh, Venezuela, because it was that one country that I couldn't go back to. I was still missing it. But if I did something with food with that country, then it would be kind of my homage to the country where I could get people talking about it in a better light and to be able to experience the culture in a different way. Because nowadays you can't travel to Venezuela because you know it is extremely dangerous and uh, the political situation just doesn't allow it. So we started working on a few things and over a barbecue here in Los Angeles, I made this sauce that everyone makes back in Caracas. It's an avocado-based sauce. Everyone has their own family recipe. And we typically make it every Sunday because every Sunday in Caracas, people get together at their family house and they have a barbecue. Think about it as a Thanksgiving, but every week. So I made it for my friends here in LA and they absolutely loved it. And at this point, you're back from Japan. At this point, I'm back from Japan. I decided to move back from Japan to California because I really wanted to start something new and I wanted to start something in food. And if you look at the U.S., pretty much California is the best place to start something. <laughs> you have the culture, you have the the ecosystem. I would call it. Well, I'm biased. I'm, I live in Austin, so but <laughs> sure, California will do. <laughs> Texas is close. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. In my worldview, California was like a natural, especially for what we were going to do, was like a natural test bed. Los Angeles, specifically Los Angeles, with all its mix of cultures, the sheer size of the city, it's a perfect place to launch something and to test something out. So I started making um, this sauce for my friends, and they instantly loved it. I knew I loved it. But I think you're pretty biased. Anything you grow up with, mm-hmm. you might love something and then everybody else doesn't like it. But no, in this case, they were instantly hooked on it. And then we started making some samples and we shipped some out you know, to the eastern U.S. And some friends sent it to their parents. You know, These parents like lived in retirement communities and they loved it. So that, this is when I was getting the feeling that, okay, this might have some real legs. If people that live in retirement communities are liking it, and then people here in California like it. It's not just something that you know some 20, 30-year-olds like in California. It's a niche product. It might have broad appeal. So as we we're researching a little bit further, we teamed up with Matson up in San Francisco. And I think they're one of the best product development firms in the country. We started getting new samples and new recipes made. And I would go to Grand Central Market in L.A., Grand Central Market is one of the oldest, or I think the oldest food hall in Los Angeles. And it has vendors from all over the world. You want Mexican, Filipino, Thai food, it's all there. So I would take each and every sauce that they would send to me. And me and my brother actually went there and we would test it on absolutely everything, every single food, every single flavor. And what we found to our delight was that it was extremely versatile and delicious. I think... Um, I ate my way through the entire market just testing in the sauce out. So when you say versatile, you can use it in combination with any cuisine? 
or yes. different kinds of foods? Both different kinds of foods and different cuisines. So, and think about anything from a Pat One Sen in Thai food to tacos, obviously. Breakfast, we went to Egg Slut, delicious restaurant in Grand Central Market, and put it on the breakfast sandwich. We also put it on shrimp. Just that's, that's how versatile it is. And was there anybody else making uh, avocado sauce in the way that you're making in an authentic Venezuelan way? Nobody that I know of was making avocado sauce, at least not at scale. They may have made you know, a small operation, but not at scale. And, and by the way, going back to the previous question about use, I think, I think this sauce is more constrained by imagination than by application. That's what I found so far. I've been That's a really nice way to put it. <laughs> so yeah, we were going through the market and eating our way through this market. And finally, we, we locked in the, the recipes and the flavors that we loved. Now, while we were going through this process, Matson actually put us in touch with Jeremy. Because as we were finalizing our recipes and you know, getting ready to launch, Matson put us in touch with Jeremy because, as we said earlier... He is the prophet of prophets. <laughs> he is, they thought he was a great person to help us in the next step, which was lock in our branding and then lock in our go-to-market strategy. I want to interrupt you for just a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious about I'm getting a, to know a little bit better what this profit of profits means or profits of profit. <laughs> I want to hear the backstory about it. Let's make Jeremy notorious in the food industry. <laughs> Jeremy, you want to jump in on that one? No, you, you, since you applied the name to me, I, you should tell the story. <laughs> I think it came about about a year ago and I keep telling people developing the products is actually the easier part. The branding was really hard. I think a lot of people underestimate just how hard it is to lock in the exact branding, the communication of the product. And, you know, when we were, when we approached Jeremy, our branding was, I mean, if you would see it, what, what, what we were thinking of, you probably wouldn't buy the product off the shelf. It looks like really? a fifties or sixties retro brand and not in a good way. Well, I'm happy to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeremy basically got that in essence through his advice and obviously through the work of Eric and everyone just completely turned the branding upside down in the best possible way and turned it into what it is today. And then not only that, but helped us go through our go-to-market strategy, really refine our story. So that's why I call him the prophet of profits because he has these visions. And one of the key moments that I can remember is, you know, when we were looking at the branding, we we sent Jeremy not only what we were thinking at that moment, but every single iteration that we had done until then, like all the seven options, all the eight options that the initial product branding firm had given us. And he just picked out one element from one of the variations and said, this all sucks, but this one element can work. Mm-hmm. And that one element is our logo now. So he basically was able to see through all the clutter and to see through all the bad assets and just get the right thing and get that thing and turn it into an amazing brand. That's why, hence the name Profit, and hopefully of profits. <laughs> Can I add I something to this? Yeah, I was just going to ask you as to what appealed to you in Kumana. Why did you agree to start working? And yes, please do add. So, you know, when I first started out in the business, I chased a lot of brands because I said, oh, this is a great product. And then I realized when I look back at it that, of the companies that have great ideas and products fail unless they have a great team in place. 
And so it really comes down to my belief in the founders. And so I, when I was first asked by Matson, they said, oh, this, you know, they told me a little bit about the story. I hadn't met Francisco or his brother Roberto yet. And I was sitting there and listening to Barbara tell me about it. She was very passionate about the brand and it tastes great. You know, and that's one of the things nobody's ever called me and said, I've got one of the worst tasting potato chips, but I'd like you to represent us and work with us. Everyone's product is great. So I have to figure out, does this make sense or doesn't it? Do these guys have the ability? Are they naive? Are they arrogant? Will they overlook things? So I agreed. I said to Barbara at Matt's and I said, I hate sauces. I said, and I don't mean I hate sauces. It's just looking at it from a perspective of where I ultimately would take it, which is Costco at some point. That's not a high driving category like snacks or yogurt is. So it's a slow category for them. And Barbara said, you know what? You really have to meet Francisco. And I said, well, you know what? I love Matt's and I will go ahead and sit down and give you, you know, 15 minutes. I'll listen to what they have to say. And so I actually got invited to the design meeting and it was kind of funny because I do have some opinions from time to time as you get to know me. So I'm pretty direct. It's a combination of my New York roots where I was born and then spending most of my life in L.A. and the Bay Area as well. You kind of sort of mellow out. So so I was sitting in this meeting and the creative person was presenting and I'm, I'm talking to myself in my head thinking, oh, this is really, really going to be bad because I don't like anything here. And they're going to eventually get around the room and they're going to ask me a question. And I'm always direct. So I'm going to I'm going to tell them what I think. And then that will be the end of the meeting. And then I'll, I'll go home and I'll never hear from them again. So I'm sitting there and the person who's doing the presentation is going through all of her stuff. And she then gets to the design that she wants to go with it. And I'm like going, oh, my God, this is awful. And so finally, they asked me what I thought. And I said, well, if you're an automotive car company, you guys are right on track. The copy works. But I said, there's no passion. There's really to me what I'm looking for is what is the soul of the brand and has the creative team captured the essence of the founders, in this case, Francisco, and translated that through the design so that it then comes back and we've got a story. And so after I spoke, it got obviously very quiet. And later I heard the person was very upset with me. And who is this person? Uh, it was a creative director. That's all I'm going to oh, say about it. She's no longer okay. with the company. And it wasn't because of working with me, although I'm sure by now, I probably would have slid her wrist if I had come in there on any more appointments. But, you know, I have a personal bias for working with Eric and Dab at Market Brand. And so I knew right then and there when I heard Francisco talk and his passion that there was something there. And I also watched him in the room and I, I really appreciated the fact that he really listened. Sometimes you go into a room and the founder won't shut up and sucks all the air out of the room. And other Mm -hmm. times you can see they're too frail and they won't speak up. But Francisco was like right down the middle of I'm here to listen and gather information. So when I got done with the meeting, 
after I said what I said, I figured I'd never hear from them again. But my phone rang pretty quickly. And I told Francisco, I said, I hate to tell you this, but the bad news is I can't work with this. There's no way I can sell what they presented there. But the really good news is Eric and Deb at Market Brand can bring your magic. They'll create the soul here. And that's who I want to work with. And that's the only group that I work with. And so at that point, I figured now I'm really done. But Francisco said, no, 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 we, we want to work together. We'll go uh, visit Market Brand over in Fairfax and uh, we'll hang out and we'll see what they have to say. And, you know, it, it was... Um, One other sidebar was that, and I think this is important to the whole story when it ties in with Eric and Francisco, was that I was up one night at about 1.15 in the morning before our meeting with Market Brand. I was watching a video with uh, Anthony Bourdain in LA, and Bourdain is a big influence to all of us. And he was, it was his LA trip, his most recent one. And I was blown away with how culturally different LA was than when I grew up there. And the food was good. And there was so much going on now. And at that moment, I said, everybody has to watch this video. I sent out an email before the meeting. And Eric loved the video and Deb loved the video and Francisco loved the video. And that led us to the meeting with Eric and Deb and a whole creative process they came up with And, you know, one thing that's really important to point out is when you're really trying to come up with a great brand story, great packaging and put the whole thing together, it's always a collaborative effort. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand this. They'll go to a packaging designer and they'll ask the packaging designer to come up with good packaging. But that packaging doesn't tie into the soul of the company most of the time. And that's why you see these firms constantly redesigning their stuff because it it's not making traction. And Eric and Deb were able to connect in this meeting with Francisco. And again, giving Francisco his due, Francisco, you know, design is only as successful as having a client who's willing to push the boundaries and really work hard to get to a point where you find the exact thing that resonates. And to me, that's what makes Francisco such a good leader of Kumana is because that's what happened in our meeting. Well, I mean, it's a game changer meeting from it sounds like. It was. Because you don't like sauces and you were not impressed with the creative, but you're still here working together and bringing these incredible products to market and so much to share after the journey. And one of the things that you hit upon, Jeremy, actually kind of hits home for me because that's almost where we are today with our own product where you know we've got a great design but finding connecting your soul or the founder soul or the journey and what the product represents to the packaging is no easy joke and having lived that phase I completely understand you know what you're saying and I want to kind of segue that conversation into understanding how does one decipher that? So Eric Reed is a founder and CEO of Market Brand. And so I want to hear from Eric as to how do you take all these parts and pieces, fit it into a puzzle and make it so coherent and simple for the end user to understand? That's a great question. And um, it's a very relevant question in today's mass competition in every category. 
I have spent the last couple of years with Jeremy going to Nosh and it's a food conference and mm-hmm. it is for entrepreneurs and CEOs of companies. And some of the things that we learn there is to define, and this last um, one that was a few months ago, I had never heard it put this way, but to define your onlyness. And I thought that was a really kind of, someone mentioned that in one of the sessions, but how do you really stand out? How are you different? How do you connect with your customer? Are you making something better for your customer? Are you making something easier? With, with the Kamana product, it really is so incredibly versatile. I've worked on literally thousands of brands in the last 25 years. And Kamana is one product that is so incredibly versatile. We had a line out the door at Expo West for people lining up to taste this product and come back and learn about it and, and find out about it. So another little quip that someone mentioned at Nosh, I don't recall who said it, but don't drink your own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. You really need to listen to the experts that you're working with. You need to listen to your customers. You need to really be able to put your ego and your preconceptions aside and Find your niche and define your story. The way that we work in my company is it's a 24-hour-a-day job for me. Francisco called me at 10.30 last night. We had a power outage. We had one of the most ravishing storms that we've had in Northern California. A tree fell on the driveway. And... I, you know, pick up the phone and, hey, Francisco, uh, let's talk about the new packaging revisions that you had in the middle of this ravishing storm. So it's really kind of finding the right branding partner that you trust and that you know is really in it for the long haul. When Jeremy called us all and sent the email on the Anthony Bourdain show that he had found, which was Anthony Bourdain's adventure in LA, it really was kind of a game changer because, listen, we all have to watch this. And coming out of that, the next morning we had our session and that's where born in Venezuela, raised in LA, which is our tagline came to be. And it was directly out of this passion that Jeremy has for always striving to find and define a brand story. I absolutely love that, by the way, Eric. So, I mean, when you go to the website, that immediately connects the visitor about what the brand is all about. And it's such a powerful thing to say. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that was amazing. So that's a nice outcome of the video, of the conversation, of everything. It's kind of a journey. And, you know, I wasn't aware of the emerging food scene in LA until we saw that. And then since I've spent a lot of time in LA with Francisco and every time we go there, Jeremy and I go to some new place that Francisco has to take us. <laughs> it's every time we go to some new place and it really broadens my horizons and interest in the, the whole food scene. Yeah, could I add one thing to that? The beauty of the tagline is that it really ties into a couple of things. First of all, It's Francisco's story. And then it's also the story of a lot of people who live in the United States of America. And as the country is changing, we have all these foods from all over the world that are coming in the United States. And so one of the things that we talked about is that 
you can have two people, and this to me is what really Bourdain was really trying to tell people. You can have two people that don't like each other from a political standpoint, but when they break bread together, the food becomes the peace. It allows the people to come together. And that was part of the whole, the Kumana energy and the vibe. But the thing that Eric does so well and Deb and Francisco, again, deserves so much credit. The entrepreneur, the founder has to be open to saying, okay, I may have this vision, but the creative team has a different vision that's even larger. Can I get around that? Because, you know, the goal isn't to work with 20 different design firms over a five-year period. If you do it right, and this is the way it was in the old days. Do you know that Levi's was with Foot Conan Belding, which was their advertising agency, for over 100 years? And when you develop that type of relationship, the design firm should be part of the soul and creativeness all the way through the company if they do a good job. And Market Brand has been that way. And again, it's a credit to Francisco and his openness to allow new ideas to come through. But it's a different approach versus most entrepreneurs who just say, oh, I heard this design firm is really good. I'm going to bring them in. And all they do is packaging for the project, which is a very, very closed way to look at packaging. Mm -hmm. Or they bring in a stupid focus group, which has no soul whatsoever. And they try and create, you know, a Frankenstein product out of it. So anyway, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, I think that's a good segue. You know, I work with a lot of startups and that's kind of merging brands and startups. And I will say uniquely, Francisco is a listener. He really doesn't say much when we're in these creative sessions. He's thinking, processing. When he is ready to speak, he speaks and he's a very trusting person. And I think that that is one key to doing something that is definitely differentiated in the market. Many people come to us and say, oh, we want a package design. You really don't want a package design. What you want is a brand with a story. You want something that has a loyal following that one person loves the product so much that they will be your advocates. And that's how today's brands that are successful really resonate and grow. And I think that the big CPG companies that we were all somewhat held hostage by for my whole childhood are struggling to find the magic that, you know, all of the small companies, Kashi, Annie's, I mean, you look at every category, there is a small challenging brand that, you know, the big CPG companies are really just now almost relinquished to say, it's just easier for us to buy them. Then we don't have the soul. We don't have the capability of creating these things. It's just easier to buy. And that's why many of the brands that I work with get snapped up. And it's, it's kind of the trend now. And increasingly, 
in line with what you were just saying, Eric, the consumer wants that as well. It's no longer about just finding a package that appeals to them on the shelf, but they want to pick up the package and they want to read the story in the back. They want to know the why and behind a brand and uh, they want to see why they should pick up a package and purchase it, not purely based on the nutritional value, but they want to connect with the brand on different levels. And it's all about omni-channel experience, how we're connecting that packaging with reviews online or with the founder story. So if a brand is not delivering that successfully by the visual design, by the story, by, by communicating the soul and the purpose, then we're going to fail on the shelf. It, absolutely. And especially in today's you know, competitive market. I remember 25 years ago with some of the brands that did this originally would be like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You know, they had unique founders. They had a unique story. They had unique flavors. They were really, to me, one of the bellwether brands that eventually did get sold. And I can't remember who bought them, but they've kind of left that brand alone. Burt's Bees is the same way. Or, you know, there's a Tom's of Maine. There's certain brands. And these were the forefathers of today's emerging brands that you would call. You know, they did things their own way mm -hmm. and they found a loyal advocate audience for them that have stuck with them for many, many years. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to hit upon distribution now. Now we've talked about the inception of the brand and the initial few, the first part of the journey, the packaging, making sure the soul and the purpose of the brand comes into the design of the packaging. I want to see how that post the design decisions, how has that impacted how Kumana performs on the shelf? And related to that question, a uh, question to you, Francisco, is the distribution that you have right now is Safeway, Albertsons, and you decided to go the conventional grocery route you know, versus starting with natural and specialty, which is a playing by the book kind of approach that a lot of brands take, uh, depending on the category, of course. But tell us a little bit about what was your distribution and channel mix strategy and how did the product and the design empower you to be successful on the shelf? Yeah, I would say we decided to launch around Expo West 2018. So we on purpose timed it for a major trade show to get as much exposure and to get as much people as we could trying the product because it was a very new product out there. It's not a it's not a Me Too product or something that's already been tried and tested and we were just launching a new brand about it. So it's a totally new product and we thought liquid to lips was very important. We need mm -hmm. to be there telling the story and we need to be there sampling people and getting their feedback live. And did you have distribution before Expo West? We did not have distribution before Expo West. We had been picked up by Kehi, actually, which is also mm -hmm. rare since we didn't have distribution. Backtrack a little bit. Jeremy and Eric were actually down at Nosh three months before Expo West. And Jeremy, aka the Prophet of Profits, was talking to one of the Kehi executives about the brand. And we sent some samples then afterwards, after that Nosh meeting, to Kehi. And you know, to our delightness, they absolutely loved the product. And they decided to start the onboarding process even before Expo West, which gave us a huge leg up going into Expo because we already had one of the best and biggest distributors in the country signed up with us. So going into Expo West, we launched there at the booth and we started noticing a lot of the Albertsons and Safeway divisions rolling by and testing the product. and 
you know, really, really, really liking it. And shortly after the show, we actually get an email from one of the national high-level executives saying that they thought it was one of the best four products in the show and that they are missing a great avocado sauce in many, if not all of their stores. And that was absolutely amazing for us. And, you know, we were thrilled to be launching with them and thrilled that they're also, you know, conventional now is taking a different approach and is actually seeking out the smaller, more emerging brands and not just waiting until they launch in natural and specialty to then bring on who's working or not. So I would say the answer to that question is more conventional chose us. And then we were absolutely thrilled and we decided to, you know, take up their offer and, and proceed with them. And so far it's it's been really good for us. It is interesting. I've been noticing that change as well. Mm-hmm. And I wanna see if Jeremy and Eric can weigh in on this. Back in the day, let's say even four or five years ago, you would do that. Go start with the National Specialty Channel mm-hmm. and take your shot at the local uh, specialty stores or Whole Foods. and But increasingly, things are changing. The buying process is changing for stores like Whole Foods, for example. The local and regional program, not necessarily always is local and regional. Some of the decisions are still being made at the corporate level. So do you think that that is a shift that we're seeing in how younger brands should prepare themselves, not wait out for a certain, you know, Whole Foods to come after them or put them on the shelf versus just take the shot at what comes at you first versus, you know, going by the book that used to be relevant a few years ago? Well, from my perspective, I think what's happened is, you know, Whole Foods had the emerging food brands from a, you know, traditional retail standpoint, pretty much locked unto themselves, except for you know, a few other smaller retailers here or there. But uh, the traditional supermarkets, the Safeway and the Albertsons were later to the emerging brand game. And I think now they realize that they had given up market share over a period of time. And it was time now to really begin to go after that business. And because they were losing their consumers to Costco, because Costco has always been a huge supporter of emerging food brands. They called them treasure hunt items, and then somebody coined that phrase. But I think from a distribution standpoint, you have to start, though, with something that Francisco and I talk a lot about, which is smart growth. A lot of companies, all they do is talk about how many doors they're in. And Mm -hmm. it's really about velocity and being able to build your brand in a region, and then you begin to expand. And you know, with all of, you know, timing is, it can be a friend or a foe, depending upon what side of the street you're on. And I think with Whole Foods struggling and then the acquisition by Amazon, it really woke up all of the other retailers that the Safeways of the world that they need to get their rump moving and become part of this. Otherwise, they'll just be stuck with Tide and Kraft Heinz products on their shelves, and no one's going to shop in the store for those. They're going elsewhere to buy it. And so I think a lot of it had to do with the timing. And then you have the millennials and the shift in consumers as to what they're looking for. And so on top of that, it played a big role in in distribution. And you know, the good news is that you now have so many more options to launch your brand than you've ever had before. 
And I and I have to say, because, you know, we there were some people that had said to me, oh, what are you going to go in Safeway Albertsons for? They don't care about emerging food brands. And they've been I have to say the corporation has bent over backwards to do what they can all the way down to the store level to help Kumana be successful. I think the other part that does play into distribution is that Francisco, you know, this was not an easy product to make. Other people have tried to make it and it's anybody could do it if you're in the deli and you get a short shelf life, but getting a 10 to 12 month shelf life and being able to put it out as a shelf stable hot sauce or condiment, no one else has this type of formula on the shelf. And so if you look at it from a retailer's perspective, we're also bringing them a product that is really innovative for the category. So it winds up being something that is a lot of the parties involved from the distributor to the retailer to the brand itself and consumers are looking for a product like this. And this really touched on a lot of areas. Now, you know, it's always a tough decision to make. Where do you start? And we had this incredible opportunity put before us and a retailer that said, we want to make this work. It's hard to say no to something like that. And Francisco's put together an incredible team that was able to execute. And that was, I think, as important to the whole process. And I think just to add on to a couple of things I said before, if somebody tells you, I think in today's world, in the food business that, you know, here's the playbook of how you launch, I think you should kindly thank them for the advice on a playbook, walk away and put that playbook in a shredder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The truth is there's no one size fits all playbook and the industry has shifted a lot in the last couple of years. So for one brand, depending on your capital, depending on your category, the smartest thing might be just to launch an e-commerce and build a following in e-commerce before you even go into brick and mortar stores. For other brands, it might be the food service channel that could be their launch platform. And I think what we're seeing right now, at least in brick and mortar, is the lines are starting to be blurred. I don't think there's a clear distinction or especially going forward, there's going to be less of a distinction between natural, specialty and conventional as everyone just moves pretty much towards the same goal in the future. I think it might be more of a thing where we see a distinction between e-commerce and brick and mortar. But even then, we're starting to see some of the brick and mortar players come up with their own e-commerce offerings. So the lines are constantly shifting. And I think my advice would be, look at your brand, look at your capital, and then decide what playbook is better for you. Yeah, and where your consumer is and where are they shopping because that could be changing too. Increasingly, even the Walmart consumer is changing. And so Walmart's starting the natural and healthy living, I believe. It's something like that is what's called. They're rolling that out into all their stores where they're putting these uh, uh, specialty brands on the shelf as well. Correct. So what is lying for Kumana? You know, where is Kumana headed in the next five years? Well, I think that's that's a loaded question right there. <laughs> Sometimes when you're, I've got to say, when you're like in a startup at our stage, you're thinking about the next 30 days. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. The next 30 days feel like five years. <laughs> but uh, to answer the question, I think short term, we're going to really focus on establishing our product. I think we have a great 
subcategory of product and we have many channels we haven't even explored. I think next on the pipeline that we really want to open up is the food service channel. I would love to start seeing Kamana bottles at restaurants, condiment bars, because I think, you know, like I said earlier, it's absolutely phenomenal in different types of foods. And I would love to get more people trying the product. So short term, we're going to start expanding the channels, making Kumana more broadly available. And then long term, I see Kumana as a platform, as a brand platform for all these international foods that haven't made their way to the U.S. yet. And to go back a little bit, when I was living in Tokyo, there was this international grocery store called Nishin. And it was the international grocery store in the diplomatic area. They had this huge poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger at the entrance because he visited there once when he was governor of California. So that was that was pretty funny walking in every day. <laughs> and mm-hmm. every aisle was stocked not only with American products, but with products from Thailand, from the Philippines, from South America. And there's so many good things out there that we don't get in the U.S. I think if I had to give a percentage, we may have 15% of the flavor profiles of the world available in the U.S. There's so many great products out there that do deserve a place in the American palate and the American household. And I think I see Kamana as a platform to launch those products into the U.S. with with the avocado sauce and the avocado hot sauce being the first because it comes directly from from my childhood. That is indeed where the consumers are headed as well. It's all about global cuisines uh, and the palates are changing. And so I am very excited to see what's coming down the pipe from Kumana and the development of this brand platform because, I mean, I'm Indian and I love sampling and eating new foods. So when I go out, I don't eat Indian food at all. I just tr- try every other cuisine that's accessible in the city, which Austin is, you know, very amenable to because increasingly we're attracting many new chefs and restaurants and cuisines. But I hear you and I'm very excited to see what's Kumana going to bring forward in the next few years. And good luck. I hope to see you at the expo. Thank you. Are you going to Expo West? Yes, we'll be at Expo. All right. Well, we will definitely meet then. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jeremy, for hopping on and co-hosting this interview. Always a fun to have you on the Food Startups Podcast. Earlier, I listened to you as a listener, and it is uh, amazing how things turn. And now, you know, I'm taking over this podcast and hosting you as a guest, which is pretty amazing. So, you know, quite perked about that. And Eric Reed, uh, thank you for sharing your perspective from... Um, design and bringing the heart and the soul into a package and you know you also hit upon several important things both you and jeremy did it's about the teaming and collaboration it's often overlooked we're thinking about design we've got to get this and i guess in there but it's also about how the frequencies of the people that are working on this gel and how they enjoy i mean listening to the three of you talk it seems like you guys were just out there having fun and just getting along and bringing a product that you're also excited about to market which is very fun and refreshing to hear. So thank you for sharing your perspective. And Francisco Poan, I mean, I want to eat some of this Kumana <laughs> sauce. Absolutely. <laughs> well, happy to send you some. <laughs> awesome, yes. Um, if I can close with an Anthony Bourdain quote, because he's been a huge inspiration to this brand and to the whole trajectory, I would say, he said, if I'm an advocate for anything, it's to move as far as you can, as much as you can across the ocean or simply across the river. 
walk in someone else's shoes or at least eat their food. It's a plus for everybody. Wow. Well, that's a good way to end this episode for sure. <laughs> Thank you for sharing Thank that. You. Yeah, I'll put that in show notes as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck to you. It was great talking to you. Thank you all for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you found value in what you just heard, take a couple minutes and subscribe to our channel. Even better, show us some love and leave a review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Join the mailing list on our website so you can get notified in new episodes and learn how to build and grow your CPG business. <laughs>